Today's scripture reading is Job 2:11 to 3:1. Now when Job's three friends heard of all the evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, Zophar the Naamathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him. For they saw suffering was very great. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. The word of the Lord. Good morning. We'll be in that text, Job 2 and 3, if you have a Bible. And as the kids are dismissed to the meadow, Job chapter 2. Well, if you ever play board games with your family or friends, chances are you've played the game Taboo. If you've never played it, the object of the game is to get your team to guess the word that you have on your card without saying any of the words listed on your card. Those words are taboo. Those words are off limits. I have a couple of examples here. Let's say I was trying to get you to guess the word teacher. That's on my card. I couldn't say the words instructor, learn, school, student, or professor. Let's say you were trying to get me to guess Colonel Sanders. You couldn't say Kentucky, fried, or chicken. Good luck with that, right? Once you've seen your card, now all you have in your head is these taboo words, and that's all you can think of. And if that's not bad enough to sit there with your friends sort of struggling just with basic human speech, if you slip up and you say one of these words, one of your good friends or loved ones has the privilege of sounding the buzzer. Have you heard this sound before? I'm going to make sure those on the live stream can hear it. Who comes up with these games? Right? Why do we submit ourselves willingly to this kind of torture? What first seems easy to communicate with our team becomes really challenging when the best and most natural words to use are taboo. They're off limits. It makes for a fun game, and that's, of course, depending on your definition of fun. But what happens when we do the same thing in our spiritual life? What if there's things that we feel we need to say to God, but we think they're off limits? What do we do with our feelings of intense anger, our doubt, our grief, our despair? Just this week in conversation, I've heard people say, I'm angry. I'm feeling really angry right now, and I don't really know what to do with my anger. Others have said, I'm feeling hopeless right now, and I'm not sure where to take that, what to do with it. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe... Something's holding you back from pouring out your heart to God. Maybe you don't know how to do that. Maybe it's just too uncomfortable to let out such raw emotion in prayer. Maybe you've told yourself that kind of thing isn't appropriate for prayer, right? And our inner buzzer goes off. That God doesn't want to hear us unless we have it all together. Whatever the reason that buzzer goes off in our minds and our hearts, we bury what we're feeling or we take it out on other people instead of bringing it to God 
it turns out that there's this whole form of prayer and worship in Scripture that's for this very purpose, and it's called lament. We continue our series in the book of Job. If you haven't been with us so far, we've called our study The God We Need because whatever we're facing right now in our lives, individually and corporately as a body, the God revealed in this book, in the book of Job, is the God we need to turn to. He's the God we need to depend on right now. Last week, we jumped ahead to see what this book has to say about the sanctity of life, and this morning, we'll jump back and pick up where we left off. As Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. We've seen the Lord do both with Job, haven't we? When we last saw him, he had lost everything, his wealth, his possessions, his status, his servants, his children, and even his health. Yet still, he holds on to his faith in God. Where last we left him, he's expressed his grief in these outward signs of shaving his head, tearing his robe, sitting in ashes, and this morning we'll hear him express his grief now in words. So as we look at Job's lament, we'll see, I hope, I trust, we'll see that lament is not taboo. Lament in our own walk with God and in our prayer lives is not off limits, but it's actually a very necessary and spiritual response to our grief and to our suffering. And as believers, we need the freedom to reclaim biblical lament in prayer and worship. Would you pray with me as we turn to Scripture? Our Father, we do acknowledge that we are in complete dependence on you. And sometimes we deceive ourselves into thinking that's not the case, but we turn to a text that reminds us we are utterly and completely dependent. And so we thank you for your grace. We thank you for those gathered here, those gathered online, bring us together around your word that we might be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bible in front of you, take a look at Job 2, verses 11 through 13. We just heard this section read. Our main focus is going to be chapter 3, but let's notice just a couple things here. We're introduced to Job's three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Gonna hear a lot from these guys in the coming chapters, but for now, they just come in silence to show sympathy for their friend, to comfort him. Some time would have passed from where we last heard from Job and this moment. It would have taken time to, for the news to reach his three friends in three separate countries. They communicate with one another, they make plans, they make the journey to come together and come to Job at the same time. So who knows how long Job has been sitting here suffering in the ashes, in the dust. Weeks? Months? But so intense was Job's suffering, the toll that it had taken on him, that at first his own friends couldn't even recognize him. But they show their support in these out, the same outward acts that Job had done, tearing the robes, sprinkling dust on their heads. And most notably here, they sit with him in silence for seven days. If there's a time for silence, it's this. I mean, what words could you possibly offer to someone in Job's position? You may know from experience of your own deep suffering, of your own experience with grief and pain, people's well-intentioned words often fall short, don't they? Often they even make it worse. What's most comforting oftentimes is when a friend just comes alongside you and says, in words or just in their presence, I'm here, I'm with you. This is a way we can mourn with those who mourn, as Paul teaches us in Romans 12. 
But seven days of silence. This is customary for mourning for the dead. So they're certainly joining with Job in mourning for his dead children. But we have to wonder, were they also mourning for Job? They soon reveal, if you know anything about the book, they soon reveal they think this is all Job's fault. That Job's suffering because of some sin in his life that God is judging him for. So maybe they're mourning a little bit for their friend Job, who to them is now as good as dead. Maybe he's worthy of it. Does Job already sense their judgment? We can only speculate here, but not even his most trusted friends have anything to offer him. Because at some point, there is a time for words. At some point, there is a time to say, Job, I'm here. We love you. There is hope, but they offer no words. Seems their intentions are good, but whatever the case, Job is feeling this deep loneliness of suffering. He's all alone in the pit. And he's about to speak words into this utter silence. All the pain and despair that he's been feeling, it's been welling up in him, is about to come pouring out. And so we turn to Job chapter 3. These words are hard words. It's poetry, but the emotion is raw and it's honest. Most of us aren't used to the sound of lament. makes us uncomfortable. We'd rather avoid it. So before we get to Job's words in Job 3, let's just remind ourselves of a few things to set the stage here. First of all, let's remind ourselves that lament is biblical, okay? Lament is biblical. There's an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations. It's all lament. Dozens of psalms in the book of Psalms are lament. We heard one this morning in Call to Worship. Oftentimes, laments have a pattern where the psalmist or child of God will come before him and they'll utter some complaint, some struggle, request. And then oftentimes they move into a place at the end of some sort of trust, some acknowledgement that God is sovereign, that he hears. But they don't always follow that pattern. Psalm 88 is an example of what we could call an unanswered lament. It's just a complaint. It's just dark. There's no light in it. It doesn't end on a happy note. And Job's lament is the same way. It's all darkness. But the laments in Scripture, all of them, are inspired expressions of faith, including these ones that don't end happy. Because it takes faith. Even to pray an angry prayer, to pray a bitter prayer, that's all still an expression of faith. It doesn't take any faith at all to stay silent. It doesn't take any faith at all to just leave God separated from our pain. It takes real faith to pour out our hearts and what we have inside. Unless we dismiss lament as just an Old Testament thing, let's also remember that Jesus himself lamented. And we'll get back to that in just a minute. So if lament is biblical, this means we're missing something when we don't practice it. Many of us, myself included, have very little practice at this important part of how our faith is meant to be expressed. Why? Why do we miss out on lament? I think in part it's a cultural thing. Many cultures around the world more intuitively see lament as just a part of life, but not so in the West, where we try to avoid suffering altogether. We're all about control. We're all about independence. Both of those things really have no place in lament, so we have a hard time with it. 
We tend to hide and distract ourselves from our negative emotions. We pretend they don't exist. As author Christina Fox writes, when difficult circumstances cut into our lives, we seek out false saviors to rescue us. We bury ourselves in work, entertainment, or a pint of ice cream. I'm guilty of that last one. We might even take things into our own hands and attempt to control our circumstances. We'll do anything but, but face the pain and heartache we feel. It's even more dangerous when we think these kind of tendencies are Christian. There's a popular version of Christianity that's really just sort of shallow and superficial that says we should be happy all the time. This mentality would have preferred Jesus to sing a chorus at the grave of Lazarus, right? Instead of weeping like he did. Pastor of a church I attended many years ago taught that Christians should always be smiling. It's part of our testimony to the world. Always be happy. Always be smiling. I remember when a church member in that church lost a parent, I approached them and just said, I don't remember what I said, just something like, I'm I'm very sorry for your loss. And they corrected me. They rebuked me. No, no, no. There's nothing sad here. This is a graduation. They're in heaven. That may at first seem like a really spiritual response, but in light of our own experience, in light of Scripture, it's dishonest. It's not real. If you listen to Christian music on the radio, maybe you hear the slogans, positive, encouraging, You won't hear a Christian radio station saying, here's another lament to get you through your workday, right? Listen, positive, encouraging, it's all great. But if that's our whole diet of worship, if that's our whole diet of prayer, we're missing out. We're missing one of the major food groups, if you will. We're ignoring about a third of the Psalms. One worship song includes this line. In his presence, our problems disappear. Has that been true in anyone's experience? Yes, if Job was here, would he raise his hand? I don't think so. And for Job, he suffered because of his faith in God. He suffered because of his time in the presence of God. Again, this book is calling us to a deeper faith. Out of our comfort zone, certainly but to a deeper and more honest faith. See, we can fall for this superficial version of Christianity, but we also judge ourselves, don't we? When we struggle. Maybe we judge one another, too, when we struggle. We can all believe this lie. If I was really spiritual, I wouldn't be feeling this way. I wouldn't be having these thoughts and struggles. I wouldn't have this doubt. I wouldn't have this anger. I wouldn't be wrestling with God about the injustice in the world. If I just had more faith... I wouldn't feel this way. What we're really saying, if that's our mindset, is that we know better than Job, we know better than David, and even we know better than Jesus. Waiting until we have ourselves put together before we come to God in prayer is backwards, isn't it? That's what we could call anti-gospel. That's the opposite of what our faith should teach us. It's the Holy Spirit who does the transforming. And so, is our God big enough to handle the depth of our emotion and our struggle? Is he or is he not the loving Father that Jesus told us he is, who invites us into his presence as we are? Now, in his presence, he doesn't leave us as we are, but he invites us as we are. So, what are we afraid of? Is it seeing ourselves as we really are? 
Those areas in our hearts that we'd rather hide or ignore, speaking to God sort of makes it real, doesn't it? It means we have to face it. But lament invites God into our struggles, into our pain. And others of us hold back because we fear being transformed. Maybe we're angry, and I I don't want God to change my mind because I have some righteous anger, right? Remember, many lament psalms are a journey. Some start in bitter complaint. And you can see in the prayer God meeting the psalmist and speaking to them. And the psalmist ends the very same prayer in a place of trust. Other problems aren't taken away, but their perspective is a little bit more spiritual. takes God into account. Maybe we're afraid God might actually meet us in these dark places and transform us. He might change us. So before we hear Job's lament, we really do need to acknowledge that lament is legitimate in our prayer and worship. Because what we're about to hear in Job 3 is dark. But it's the cry of a man who's sitting in utter despair. And this is the man that Job affirms at the beginning of the book, and he affirms him again at the end. So what we see in Job 3 here doesn't remove Job's status as a spiritual man. It doesn't reduce his blameless character. He's honest. So let's look at Job 3 together, starting in verse 1. I'm just going to read this lament. So as we hear these words, let's just listen. Let's try to avoid the temptation to judge Job, okay? As we hear these words, ask God, what does this stir up in my own heart? What are the places in my heart where I identify with Job? Maybe not in the extremes of what he's saying, but in some element. Is there room in my prayer life for a prayer like this? Chapter 3, verse 1. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, Let the day perish on which I was born and the night that said a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful cry enter it. Let those who curse, curse the day. Who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. Let the stars of its dawn be dark. Let it hope for light but have none. Nor see the eyelids of the morning. Because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb. Nor hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth? Come out from the womb and expire. Why did the knees receive me or the breast that I should nurse? For then I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves or with princes who had gold who rebuilt ruins or with princes who had gold who filled their houses with silver or why was I not as a hidden stillborn child as infants who never see the light? There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners are at ease together. They hear not the voice of the taskmaster. The small and the great are there, and the slave is free from his master. Why is light given to him who is in misery, 
and life to the bitter in soul who long for death, but it comes not and dig for it more than for hidden treasures who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes instead of my bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. The word of the Lord. Well, we made it through. It's dark. It's troubling, but again, it's honest. Like Psalm 88, Job's lament has no happy ending. The Hebrew poetry here in this lament captures the rawness, almost incompleteness of Job's emotion. It's abrupt. The grammar is awkward and difficult on purpose. As one commentator notes, translators can ruin the art by making it too smooth. So Job starts by cursing the day of his birth. Notice he curses, but he doesn't curse God. Satan hasn't won. Job hasn't cracked under the pressure and turned from God and cursed him. He doesn't curse God or even himself, but he laments the day of his birth, wishing he had never been born. Our rational side says, come on, Job, what's the point of these words, right? You've already been born. Snap out of it. But we're not the ones sitting with him in the ashes, are we? From where Job sits, his life is so miserable, his suffering in life is so unbearable that death seems better because it would bring relief. If only I had died at birth, Job says in verse 13, then I would have slept, I would have been at rest. But as it is for Job in verse 26, he has no rest, only trouble. So much for our problems disappearing in God's presence. This book is too honest for that. The laments in all of Scripture, they cover the full range of human emotion. And Job's, along with Psalm 88, is kind of right there at the bottom, right? For those in this church family who are suffering, who are grieving right now, hear from these words of Job that you're not alone. That your feelings have a place before God in prayer. And they have a place in this church community. But wherever we all are this morning, let's let Job's word give his words give us the freedom to reclaim lament for our own walk with God as we seek to grow deeper in our faith into a more honest faith. In his book, Fill These Hearts, author and theologian Christopher West writes of an experience he had in prayer that caused, as one of he says, his pious masks to fall off. He was led by a spiritual mentor into this assignment of prayer that really got him in touch with some of the deep pain he was experiencing. He writes, as that pain presented itself, I was overwhelmed with a sense of feeling abandoned by God. I became enraged. The pious masks that covered my anger fell and I let God have it. His prayer assignment was to write out a prayer that expressed what he was feeling. And in his prayer, he told God, I get why people choose to be atheists. I'm starved and alone and unloved, and I can't do a thing about it. And you can, but you don't. What kind of God are you that just leave me here in suffering? Well, he immediately felt guilty 
Shamefully, he shared his prayer with his spiritual mentor, expecting a rebuke, but the response of this godly old man was simply this. Good prayer. West was confused. What do you mean, good prayer? Didn't you just read the words that I said to God? How could this be a good prayer? His mentor reminded him, you know, lots of psalms express the agony that you're feeling right now. It's not a prayer of doubt. It's a prayer of faith. You wouldn't be screaming at God if you didn't believe in him, if you didn't think he could hear you and rescue you. When's the last time that you or I prayed with that kind of honesty, if that's where we are? God already knows completely what we're thinking, what we're experiencing, what we're feeling, and yet we think prayer is supposed to be polite, supposed to be censored. So what masks of false piety need to fall off for us, for us to pray like that? Would we call Job's prayer a good prayer? Instead of burying his feelings, instead of turning from God, he poured it all out. Yes, we have much to be thankful for. We have much to praise God about, and our praise to God should be constant. But in our fallen world, there is also much we can and should lament. Some of us here are grieving lost loved ones. This pandemic that won't stop and continues to take lives. There are livelihoods lost, isolation and loneliness. There's anger, there's division in our countries. Christians are divided. Suffering and injustice and poverty around the world. Children without families, billions of people without the hope of Jesus Christ. Unreached people groups without a word of scripture in their own language. So just a few things. I say all this not to discourage or depress us, but to remind us we all have something to lament. We all need to make room in our prayer lives for lament. And we have nothing to fear. Because when we step into the darkness of lament, we have so much more than Job had. And the psalmists had. And Jeremiah had. We have the complete word of God that reveals his promises, our sure hope in Christ. We have the indwelling spirit. We have the very provision of Christ. So all of our lament, whatever it is, all of our laments find their answer in the laments of Christ. Remember, we said Jesus lamented. In Matthew 26, Jesus takes his disciples to Gethsemane. Like Job, he's here in his suffering with just three friends, Peter, James, and John. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and pray with me. Watch with me. But but like Job, Jesus' friends were no help. Instead of watching, instead of praying, instead of supporting Jesus in his grief, they fell asleep. So Jesus stepped into his suffering all alone. And going a little farther, Matthew writes, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus was alone in the in this lament in Gethsemane, so you and I would never be alone in ours. In the very next chapter, Matthew records Jesus' lament from the cross. Bearing the weight of our sin, our brokenness, our pain, 
Jesus cried out with a loud voice the words of the lament in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All our pain finds its answer there. In those words, with our Savior on a cross, because Jesus was forsaken on the cross, we have the promise that we will never be forsaken. Because the lament of Jesus went unanswered, our laments find their answer in him. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, maybe you're here, maybe you're joining us online, find in Jesus Christ the God who hears you. The God who knows the depth of your pain and your suffering, who knows all the cries of your heart, whether you express them to him or not. Find in Jesus Christ the God who invites you into relationship with him by grace alone. And as believers, we know that no matter what we face, our hope is sure. Although we may feel alone, God is with us. No matter how dark life gets, we know, as Jeremiah declared, right in the middle of his own lament, his painful, agonized lament, Jeremiah said, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so with Job's example and with the very provision of Christ, we're, we're equipped to move into a deeper and more honest prayer life. So I'm going to challenge us all, myself included, all of us this week, to pray a prayer of lament. You may want to write it out. Don't censor your prayer. Just pour out your heart. If you don't already, make it a, a regular part of your dialogue with God. If you're not used to it, that's okay. Most of us aren't. It takes practice. And if you can't find the words, let the Psalms of Lament guide you. Pray those inspired prayers to give voice to what you're feeling if you can't find the words. And make space not only for your own lament, but to hear the lament of others. When someone shares their heart, listen. Don't try to talk them out of it. But join them in their lament. Join them in their suffering. We can let our discomfort with other people's pain get in the way of the Spirit's work in them. Someone's going through the valley of the shadow of death. You can't just say, come on, get out of there. No, but we can walk with them through it. There's people in this body, in our church family, who are hurting right now. We have opportunity to reach out and just be there with them in their suffering. So share with your small group this week what you're lamenting. Maybe it's personal. Maybe it's what's going on in the world. But we need to make space for this. Personally, corporately. So what are those words? What are those emotions that you tend to feel that are off limits for prayer for you? What are the taboo words that set off that buzzer in your heart? Is it anger? Is it grief? Doubt? We need to realize these things are not obstacles to prayer. Scripture teaches us these are actually the way into prayer. Lament is not taboo. It's a biblical and much needed form of prayer and worship we need to reclaim. We need to practice in our own personal walk with God and together. Would you pray with me? I close with a prayer of lament from the prophet Jeremiah in Lamentations 3. 
As Jeremiah prayed, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Amen.